everyone, and welcome to a brand new edition of ESPN's Formula One podcast. I'm Alexis Sinas, and as usual, I'm with my ride or dies, Nate Saunders and Lawrence Edmondson. We are going to react to all of the action that we saw at the Spanish Grand Prix today, Sunday, where history was made again, even though it may not have been the most exciting form of history because I, I went out, we had a birthday for a friend of ours, and I was with Nate last night, knocking back a few grown-up drinks, and... Nate was like, gosh, I hope tomorrow is going to be exciting. So I had like this buzz going into it because I was like, yeah, maybe we'll see Verstappen do something. But in the end, as they will say, the cream rises to the top, I suppose. Normalcy has been restored. Lewis Hamilton takes this one away on a day where he made history. Um, 156 podium finishes, the most in history, surpassing the Michael Schumacher. So... Boys, I know we almost run out of words to describe how wonderful Lewis Hamilton is and just how much of a top driver he really is. That this We could probably do this with our eyes closed, but given today's race and given the fact that he has made history and then Toto Wolff after came out and said, you know, it was the, the almost that champion instinct that he had to choose the tires and, you know, and that actually factored in if you try to compare it to how Valtteri Bottas kind of fared as well. This was a pretty significant win, right? It, it was a very good win. It was an incredible win, really, when you look at the way Lewis managed that race. Um, first kind of 15 laps or so, he only had about one and a half seconds over Max, but he was just toying with the Red Bull, making sure his tyres were all set up. And I think this is one of the things that um, sometimes gets overlooked about Lewis. Yes, he's got sensational one-lap speed. Yes, he's a great overtaker, a great wheel-to-wheel racer, but his management of a race and his understanding of a race and his ability to kind of see the bigger picture is something that is really quite special. It's clearly something that comes with experience for racing drivers. But with Lewis, there's almost this sixth sense where he knows what's going on. He knows which tyres to go on next. At the end, we heard Mercedes say, we're going to the soft. That's what they did with Bottas. In theory, Pirelli had said it, you know, the engineers had said it, that if you go to the soft tyre, it's the faster of the two tyres, it would last that length. But but Lewis knew that the medium tyre was the one to go on to. And actually, in the end, in the very end, Bottas also went onto that tyre to set the fastest lap as well. So, yeah, L- Lewis kind of gave everyone a bit of a schooling today, including his engineers. Yeah, I completely agree. And um, the thing with Lewis right now that I think Lawrence hits it up, the nail on the head perfectly is that it's so easy to underappreciate somebody when they're in the best car. It was the same with Schumacher. We saw it with Vettel when he had the best car and on race management, just, you know, on that, I, I've always thought that one of Lewis's best performances was Abu Dhabi 2016 when he backed Rosberg into the chasing pack and was still able to control the pace of the race. So it, it speaks to what Lawrence was saying about having that awareness of what's going on around him, but still being in charge of things. So really impressive today. And, and I think the biggest thing from the race for me was that, the huge glaring difference between him and Valtteri. You know, if you look at often the best comparison to make is between two teammates. And, you know, it's, it was massive today, just in terms of where they finished, how they managed the tyres, like Lawrence talked about. So another, com- you know, complete and comprehensive win. And it, it feels quite apt as he moves closer to the Schumacher win record. He's winning races in a very Schumacher-esque fashion, which feels kind of appropriate for matching that record. Because so many of Schumacher's wins were like that as well, you know, way out in front, controlling the race, just absolutely dominating everyone. Cool. Well, I suppose with that said, I mean, there's not much to ever really pick apart from Lewis, especially when he's winning in such dominant fashion. So now with that said, again, I knew last weekend we were reaching and trying to see if we had somewhat of a little race here now that Max Verstappen came up for the Drivers' Championship. But is it looking like we can almost call it for Lewis? Well, we still don't know how long the season's going to be, do we? But we can assume we're about a third of the way through. 
Another third of the way through, Lewis has a 37-point lead over Max and a 43, I think, point lead over Valtteri Bottas, who we all kind of assumed would be his closest competitor. So even if Max had a faster car, to overhaul that kind of lead over the remaining races, two-thirds of a season, would be an almighty task against someone like Lewis Hamilton. But he doesn't have the faster car. You know, we had conditions in Silverstone a week ago where we saw Mercedes really struggle. We saw a weakness. We were looking for that again. And if we were going to see it anywhere, it would probably have been in Spain because the temperatures were hot. Um, and, uh, you know, we were running harder compound tyres, sure, with lower pressures. So that all helped Mercedes. But it's just clear that Mercedes have learned from that lesson. Uh, they came here and their tyre management was on another level compared to Red Bull. It was Max who was complaining about his tyres, his rear tyres went off, he had to pit early on, and Lewis and Valtteri were still setting personal bests. So, you know, that tells you everything you need to know about how big a challenge it is to beat this Mercedes team, uh, especially with Lewis Hamilton in the car. And um, as things stand, unless we have a very unusual set of events, unless Lewis uh, retires from races or can't race or something like that, then I think this one is going his way. And... Um, to be fair, great to see him uh, match that big record, that Schumacher 7 world title record, assuming he does it. But it would be great to see him do it on this form because it's really worthy of, of that record. Um, and it was interesting today. He, today he was talking about, just go a little bit back to the performance today, how uh, he didn't know what lap he was on when he crossed the line and all that kind of stuff. But he said it, was actually, it wasn't because he was taking it so easy or it wasn't because uh, he was you know, just kind of out for a Sunday drive. He said he found this kind of extra level of clarity when he was out there, this extra um, kind of zone that he got into. And he said he can't do it every day. He can't do it just um, when he wants. But when he's there, he's just on this other level. And that is going to be really worrying for um, the rival drivers, especially if he figures out how he got there. Because if he figures out that, then, uh, yeah, I can't see anybody else getting a look in at any of the races this year, assuming they kind of go to plan for Hamilton and Mercedes. Nate, is that how you see it too? Yeah, it sounds quite Senna-esque, that. That's from his Monaco 88 <laughs> qualifying lap. He said very similar well, it, stuff. It's funny you said that because he was asked that exact thing. Was it like this Senna kind of thing? And he said, no, no, it's not really like that. It's a bit different because Senna used to say he could see the car from above or something like that. And it was an out-of-body experience. Lewis didn't go that far, but yeah, he said it was just this extra clarity. But a typical kind of Lewis answer where he says, no, absolutely not. And then kind of gives a hint that actually maybe that was kind of what, <laughs> what, what, what happened. But anyway, uh, 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 only Lewis knows what, uh, what was going on in that cockpit today. But whatever it was, it was very special. Sorry, Nate, carry on. Just to clarify that. It's like when you play the F1 2020 game, you change the camera angle, isn't it? So, you know, you can see the whole car. That's probably what it was like. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, super impressive. And just to, just to follow up with we're talking a lot about Hamilton and records, one thing that's worth keeping your eye on, we did an article about this a couple of weeks ago, which the, the, it's slightly changed now. So originally it looked like Hamilton would break the Schumacher record at Mugello, which is obviously a Ferrari-owned circuit. Now, because Verstappen won the last race, he can still match. So if he wins the next three races, he'll match Schumacher at Mugello, which is obviously Ferrari's circuit. They own it. So, I mean, that would be for what's already a pretty disappointing and, you know, pretty embarrassing Ferrari season. That would kind of be the icing on the cake um there but I don't, I don't think lewis really cares when he does that he you know he always talks down the record but um yeah everything everything lawrence said i mean it seems like he's going towards it in in really fine style well exactly i suppose we can leave it there because i mean when he's dominating like that and he's in these that zone like i said there's absolutely no criticism we can ever give it's just truly remarkable to witness and i suppose must make life even harder 
for a certain Valtteri Bottas. And I guess that's where we should definitely look because, Nate, I know we were speaking a little earlier for our video hits as usual. Um, and I was just saying that I felt like I was still wanting more from Valtteri. And I know Toto Wolff after came out and he mentioned the thing about the tire management and he felt that that's where probably Valtteri was, you know, let down or whether it was, um, you know, that first corner as well that, you know, Lance Stroll kind of took advantage of. And then it seemed that Valtteri just was off his game again from the start. So for you, what more could he have done? Or what do you think, um, where did he probably let you down today? Well, one thing that is is really clear with Bottas is I don't think he gets his elbows out and fights enough when he needs to. You know, he's, he's put in some really impressive performances before, but we've seen it a few times. I remember a few years back in Bahrain, he was chasing Vettel down. I believe it was his first season in the car. And uh, he had a chance to lunge down the inside and take Vettel on the f first corner of the, the last lap. Um, and he didn't do it. You know, he, he held back. And that's always stuck in my head with Bottas because it seems like a lot of the time you can see he's thinking, do I... You know, here, should I put the car here and defend this or should I go for this position? And you don't always see him making those decisive moves. And obviously, the, the Stroll had a fantastic start, if you actually see his onboard. Um, and Bottas was really hurt by the fact that he had a very bad start. So he might, defending that position might not have done anything. But at the same time, in the position he's in in the championship, you know, he should be fighting tooth and nail for every position, especially around a place like uh, the Circuit de Catalunya, where overtaking is so difficult. And if you're the car out in front, you can just breeze away, you know, in clean, clean air. So he knew at that point that was that was key for him so the the the, cur the crazy thing with this is is we, we do it every year bottas will get his new deal and his form just disappears and obviously mm -hmm. he's he's now had this contract so he always gets a one-year deal which doesn't sound like an ideal situation but he'll get this new deal and then and then his form just goes away and you know he'll have flashes of brilliance where he'll win a race and we just don't see it across the season so i think he's a per for mercedes he's absolutely perfect because he's quick enough that he's obviously getting podiums when he can you know, he's much, if you look at the, the Verstappen Albon comparison at Red Bull, that wouldn't work if you were Mercedes. You know, you'd need the, the second guy to be, to be doing well in the car. But yeah, for Bottas as a championship contender, I think this season for me has just ended any shred of belief I had that he could beat Lewis to a championship one day. And Lawrence, what do you think there too? Because I feel like that's something that we definitely have been speaking about Valtteri a bit. And I understand that, you know, your confidence is going to take a hit after the last, say, two weekends that he's had. But I feel like we keep talking about how you'd like to see him probably be a bit more aggressive or do, you know, a thing or two because he is being supplied literally the same kind of machinery that Lewis is clearly. But where do you think it, it's probably just not clicking for him? Well, for me, um, it's going to sound weird, but he lost that race by 0.049 seconds not on Sunday, but on Saturday. So that's how far he was away from pole. And everybody on the dirty side of the grid, and it really is a dirty side of the grid in uh, Spain because the cars come out of the final corner on the left-hand side of the track and they stay on the left-hand side of the track all the way down to turn one. And so the right-hand side of the track, where positions two, four, six, eight are, don't really see any cars run over them at any point. And as a result, there's just not as much grip from that side. So his start definitely wasn't good, but he got a little bit of wheel spin, then kind of short shifted. And, you know, that's what made the difference going in there. But we also saw Perez, who was behind him, get a pretty bad start as well. So it's that tiny margin. And if he'd been on pole, you know, OK, he may have got a bad start anyway. He may have lost the lead into the first corner. He did that in Spain last year. That could have happened, sure. But had he been on pole, it would have just been that side. Different. And the fact that he was so close, so close to pole position, it really came down to the final sector up until basically the last few corners of his qualifying lap, he was faster than Lewis. He had a better lap and Lewis wasn't going faster behind him. So it really comes down to a squeeze of the throttle out of that final chicane that lost him this race. But 
I'm defending Valtteri to some extent there, but then this happens again and again and again. And it's always these tiny little margins. And he should be praised because I don't think there's actually many drivers that could get that close to Lewis in qualifying. You know, Nate just mentioned some of the other gaps we see between teammates, especially in qualifying. You know, in some cases, we're talking 0.4, 0.5, 0.6 of a second. And Valtteri is that close to the best driver on the grid. But like I said, it happens again and again and again. And that's the difference between someone who is a very, very good driver and a six-time, probably soon-to-be seven-time world champion, Lewis Hamilton. And uh, right now, Valtteri doesn't quite have it. I think pretty much up against anyone else, uh, you'd see him challenging for the championship in that Mercedes. I think even against someone like Max, he might be able to kind of just push Max over the edge slightly uh, and kind of maybe beat him more often in qualifying. But against Lewis, it's, it's just not happening. Well, I think someone that definitely has that um, sort of killer instinct or that zone like Lewis Hamilton is definitely Max Verstappen. I'm sure he's just counting down the days for Lewis to retire. He's still super young, so I'm sure it will come and his time to shine will definitely come. But he still does still manage to shine. Um, props to him, I suppose, for still being able to split the two Mercedes in this one. Um, how did you guys see the race for him and Red Bull? Well, I, I, I think that if these races are going to be very processional, we need more of Max Verstappen's radio because that has been a constant <laughs> source of entertainment over the last three races. And um, his race engineer, Jean Piero, uh, is really, I, I really like the dynamic between those two because um, it sounds like kind of a very kind of stressed out dad talking to like a rebellious teenager who just won't quite listen to what he's being told. But you can tell it, it's, it, it's a bit like Lewis Hamilton and Peter Bonington, I think, in that they know that in the race, anything you know whatever said is 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 in the heat of the moment because you know when you talk to people at red bull that apparently is a very very strong working partnership um but yeah max today was quite funny because they were telling him all the gaps to lewis and he was just like no stop telling me about that's not our fight you know we need to be looking further back and we keep seeing this with max now where he kind of you know he he he'll kind of i guess take a not a stand against the pit wall that sounds like he's rebelling against them properly but you know he will tell them like no look this is how it's going we saw it last week when he said he wasn't going to drive like a grandma and then this week when he was like, look, you know, that's not that's not the fight we're in. You know, we've got to be focusing on the guys behind. So, again, it shows I think he's he keeps maturing as a driver. And it's just a shame that we're not, you know, if that car was maybe just a bit of a step forward, we might see him and Lewis actually in a proper battle. But, you know, as Lawrence has already said, it just doesn't look like we're going to get that. Yeah, there, there wasn't much um, more Max could do today. The fact that he beat Bottas and held him off when he needed to was was actually pretty special. And then when you look at where he is compared to uh, teammate Alex Albon, it, it's also pretty special. Um, but yeah, I completely agree with Nate on that. Honesty on the radio is a key factor. And I know we use it as a source of entertainment and I know we kind of write stories off the back of it, but actually those very frank exchanges on, on team radio is the best way to do it. Because if you were to try not to hurt someone's feelings, you know, that could be the half of a lap that lets a victory get away. So um, I think it's signs of, of, of the same thing I was talking about with Lewis at the start of the podcast is Max has this bigger picture of what's going on in the race, um, even without all the timing screens in front of him, even without, uh, you know, different camera angles and all that kind of stuff. He can figure out what's going on and, uh, and what the right strategy moves are. And uh, I think he was he was calling everything uh, right from the cockpit again this weekend. And yeah, that's a that's a pretty special talent, too. And that's quite an interesting comparison, just to keep it at Red Bull. If you look at the way Max is with the pit wall and how Red Bull's had to change things around for Albon, they've actually brought in Simon Rennie, who used to be Daniel Ricciardo's engineer. And when you listen to that dynamic, it's very much them talking to Albon about the race, you know, very much going through things like that. So that just alone 
it's easy to look at the pace of two drivers, but that shows you where the difference between Verstappen and Albon is at the moment. And I remember Gasly, it was very similar. You know, a lot of the time they were saying, we need this from you. Why aren't we getting it? And Verstappen is saying, you know, he's the one telling the team. He's the one calling the, the shot. So it's really, it, it, it shows you how much of a complete driver Verstappen is. And it shows you just how much of a complete driver you have to be in that team to even get close to him. Because as, 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 as we keep mentioning on this podcast, unfortunately, Albon just isn't getting any closer to him. Um, and it seems like it's a much bigger picture than just purely on pace. Well, I think you're right. And it's hard to compare, you know, Alex Albon to Max Verstappen, especially in this case from what we've been seeing. But today seemed like a, a bit of a better day for him. How did you guys see it for Alex? Um, he got let down by strategy, really. They went to the hard tie, which you could kind of understand, but essentially he had the pace to get past those racing points. We saw that like early in the race, he looked like he was quick, but he was just locked behind them and couldn't find a way to pass them. And part of that is because that racing point is one of the fastest cars in a straight line. So it's only really one opportunity to overtake in normal circumstances at this circuit and it's turn one, but you need to have the straight line speed to do it. So Alex got bottled up behind them. They then thought, okay, here's an idea. Everyone else is going for two stops. Let's stick Alex on a one stop, put on those hard tires. And we've seen in the past where we're not that sure about the hard tire being a great race tire and then it goes on the car and it just flies. Not the case this time. And to be honest, we kind of knew that from Friday practice, all the teams were coming back and saying, look, this hard tie, you want to stay off it. To the point that teams would willingly take on a two-stop. We know how conservative Formula 1 teams are with strategy. They always want to go for a one-stop default if they can. But in this situation, they were like, well, the only way to do that is to use the hards, and we don't really want to do that. So they put him on the hard tyres, also put him in traffic. I think he came out 16th or something like that. Huge ask to get back through the field. Uh, all that potential pace in the Red Bull went missing through the tyres and getting stuck behind other cars. And so um, he kind of got nowhere and then had to pit again anyway. So I think um, that was a mistake on the Red Bull pit wall, uh, which Alex kind of took, took the brunt for. But then, you know, it's still the same story. He still shouldn't have really qualified behind the two racing points in the first place. That was what put them onto that strategy. Probably shouldn't be there given the pace of the car, given the pace that Verstappen's able to get out of it. So it's still... Yeah, there's a few little positives again. This time I would say it was more on the one lap pace. At least he was in that kind of fight at the front, whereas previously we'd seen him like dragged right back into the midfield. Um, but it's still not enough and he needs to get up there because, you know, we've said this before, if Red Bull wants to challenge Mercedes, they really need two cars to do it. Because once you have two cars, you strengthen your hand, you know, incredibly in, in a strategic battle because you can start to pit early to kind of force the other team to pit and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, at the moment, Alex isn't giving them that option. Um, and yeah, it, it just didn't come together today. All right, well, I suppose let's move on now then to Racing Point. We've been talking about them for quite some time because they've had a bit of a controversial two weeks or so, I suppose. But Sergio Perez is definitely back. He was in it. And Lance Stroll, he and Lance Stroll, P4 and P5. I would say that was a pretty successful day for Racing Point. How happy would they be, uh, Nate, with that performance? Yeah, I think I think it's important to preface it with everything that's going on behind the scenes because I think that they're obviously right now racing with a big chip on their shoulder, mm -hmm. you know, because you know when you've got rivals that are accusing you of having a, an illegal car, and they're and they're looking for harsher sanctions on sanctions you've already got that you think are already unfair. Um, so yeah, I think uh, it was nice to see because often with this racing point team they have so much potential a lot of the time going into weekends. We haven't always seen them maximize it, and this did seem to be the best result they could get. Um, it's impressive, you know, uh, Lance Stroll. You know, a bit, bit of a whipping boy sometimes because of his background and stuff, but I thought his start was tremendous. I remember when he was at Williams, Paddy Lowe, when he was at the team, 
would always talk about how good Stroll's starts were. And the big problem at Williams was his qualifying was always just, you know, was always so far behind. So he was almost having to fight back through the field. But, you know, great start from him today. Um, he actually finished behind, uh, behind Perez on track, but Perez dropped behind him uh, with a penalty. Um, so, yeah, I think they'll feel good about it. And they're coming up to some circuits that historically they've done pretty well at um, in, in Monza and Spa. Uh, so, yeah, a good, good performance from them. I'm not sure... Maybe, maybe, maybe Lawrence has got some, you know, some hot predictions, some bold predictions on uh, the next two races, <laughs> but it doesn't seem like they might be that, you know, able to beat the Mercedes, you know, the, mm. the, the car that maybe they did or didn't copy in, a, in an illegal way last year. Dun, dun, but, um, dun. It's, it seems like it should be a very good spell of races for them on track. And that might be a nice distraction for everyone working there from what's going on behind the scenes yeah as i said there is there is plenty still going on behind the scenes isn't there so going into this weekend we had formal appeals um submitted and uh renault said on uh friday that they wanted essentially all the points that they had got so far for every race where there'd been a protest which was every race bar the first race where they didn't protest because f1 was back after a long period away and they didn't want to kind of cast a shadow of thing but yeah, they want all of those points taken away. Um, and uh, that doesn't mean it's going to happen, of course. It's, you know, it goes to the International Court of Appeal. We've got a couple of months of probably dragging through there to see what happens. And then uh, it could even go to, um, you know, an actual court as well. So, yeah, it's um, it, it's a funny situation for Racing Point at the moment. Again, we're now getting um, about, well, I don't know, it comes through like kind of 15 minutes after the race, we get the stewards kind of notifying that the same brake ducts were used at this race as they were at the previous races. And that means that, you know, if anything happens in the future and an appeal gets put in, then they'll lose the points for this race as well. But um, yeah, it's it, it's a kind of, it's become a bit of a, it was kind of fun to start with, wasn't it? You know, a bit of mudslinging in the paddock, but it's starting to drag on a bit. And I think everyone just wants, you know, some kind of clarity on it, some kind of answer, uh, not least of all um, Racing Point, because, of course, they want it uh, all overturned completely and to get everything back. Um, but, yeah, we'll just have to see how that how that pans out. But it's, um, it's not stopping them on track. Uh, clearly, that is a very quick car, um, which obviously creates all those questions around how, how you get a quick car in F1. Do you just copy someone else or do you do it yourself? And yeah, and, and, and that's where they are. But um, maximized performance today, definitely interesting that Perez managed to make a one-stop strategy work. Stroll made a two-stop. We know Perez has always been very good on tyres. Uh, one of the top drivers are looking after his tyres and uh, that showed again. So it's, that's another strength for the car that it can actually pull off two different types of strategy and still do well. Um, so yeah, at, at the moment, that car's pretty good. I think I, I think they'll go well in Spa. Um, should be fairly good in Monza and Mugello. So actually, yeah, I'd say three circuits coming up. Agree with Nate on that, where, where, where they should be competitive. Well, I guess after the, the week, like I said, that they've had all the protests and the sanctions and the appeals, the last thing they wanted, I'm sure, was a five-second penalty that, of course, Sergio Perez did suffer in this one afterwards. He did say he felt it was a bit unfair. Did you guys have any issue with it? We didn't really see it properly. There was a, the replay only showed the bit where Lewis passed on the straight. And from that, it didn't look like it was there was anything wrong, really. It just kind of he did actually let Lewis go past. Lewis had to move to the inside, but that's fine. You know, he he let off the throttle and let him through. So it must have been what happened before that. Um, and that is partly down to the team as well, because the team should be warning the driver that look, you're getting blue flags. It's time to let the car back through. He's X amount of seconds behind you, whatever. And so it's a real kind of um, engineering job as well from the pit wall to make sure that. Um, that Perez 
let through Hamilton. So I don't know exactly what happened, um, but clearly there was some kind of miscommunication or Perez just wasn't looking out for the blue flags. But there's, there's no real excuse for blue flags. They're, you know, they're, they're being waved on the uh, side of the track and also the drivers get a warning in the cockpit. So, you know, maybe it's, it's one of those kind of things because Kafiat got the same uh, penalty in that race. And maybe it's uh, one of those things where drivers need to kind of remember the basics again. You know, we see it so often, don't we? They get so reliant on their engineer. There's so much information coming through there, but sometimes they need to go back to the basics and just look at the flags being waved. Um, it's a very old school system. You know, it's existed since the uh, beginning of motorsport, waving flags at drivers. But yeah, sometimes you just got to go back to the basics. And, and perhaps that was it, that Perez was just relying too much on his engineer uh, to give him the information. Well, this was on a day that we wanted um, some excitement. I've been waiting to get to this point so we could finally talk about Ferrari because we did get at least a little bit of excitement or at least another headline that's not been the week in, week out stuff. And that is Sebastian Vettel finishing among the points. And I suppose the fact that we're celebrating that for Seb is just such a massive sign of how the mighty have really fallen. But P7, I suppose it's kind of bittersweet, sweet in the sense that, again, of course, he has had probably the best race that he's had all season, got some points there, but then bitter in the sense that, you know, it looked like Ferrari weren't really helping him as much, you know, or say as they do with Charles Leclerc. And bitter again because Charles Leclerc had that mechanical retirement as well that we'll get into in just a bit. But um, Nate, let's start with you then. What did you think of Seb today? And, uh, and his little, I suppose, tip with, with Ferrari that we've now realized is probably a massive sign of all the cracks and dismantling of that relationship that's going on behind the scenes yeah i mean i think you're right in that it, it's nice to see him back in the points but it's a shame that we're so hyped about Vettel finishing in seventh <laughs> um you know he did he did a really good job you know he was he was one of the guys that did a one-stop strategy made those tires work at the end and it was really fascinating i think the 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 radio exchange that they had so w w when you look at Vettel's media afterwards he was you know, they, they were weighing up whether to go into the one stop or whether to do a two stop, which is what everyone in front of him did. And they, he decided, he said, look, there's nothing to lose here. If we do the two stop, we're still behind those guys anyway. We might as well try the one stop and see what happens. Uh, and so Ferrari said, push, you know, push now, which is usually a message you get before you make a pit stop. You know, it's something where, you know, we're going to take, take the life out of the tires now and then we're going to pit you for some new ones. And about two or three laps later, he said they came back on the radio and said, do you think you can get to the end of the race on these tires? And he was like, well, and it was, he, he, it, he, he kept the, the, the bleeper, the person who has the bleeper on F1 TV busy because he's somehow, <laughs> somehow, I don't know what the phrase was, but they bleeped it twice. So I, I was trying to work out what that could have been. Um, it was quite a long one because you said yeah. it in our video, hey, you were recreating yeah. it. And I was like, I think that was the nice version of what yeah, he yeah. actually said. <laughs> he said whatever was bleeped out. And then he said, um, you know, I, I already asked you this, I think he said, or something along those lines. And it, this isn't the first time we've heard Vettel kind of talking this way to Ferrari. You know, there, there were radio exchanges during the Silverstone events where he was clearly kind of ticked off. And yeah, it, and again, you know, we, we talked about Lewis with Bono. We talked about Max and, and, and his race engineer. And Ferrari, they always just seem that it just seems a bit more frantic on the radio. It doesn't seem as kind of, I don't know, scientific. It doesn't, you know, mm. there's always one car that it seems it's, the joke is always that they forget they've got two cars running in the race. And it kind of did feel like this with this with this race. So it's good that that didn't ruin the race for Seb because if it had, you know, it just makes it look even worse that he's leaving it at the end of the year. And um, yeah, I just, it's interesting at the moment, I was trying to find the, a proper translation, but Mattia Bonotto, Ferrari team boss, said to Sky Italia um, that Vettel's reaction was down to the fact that he's still kind of saw that he's leaving the team at the end of the year, which is, you know, it's not really, it's kind of a weird thing to say about a driver who clearly had some, 
proper reservations about the strategy and it is absolving the team of all blame in that situation saying yeah it's just mm -hmm. it's just a, it's just a moody driver so and i don't know how the, there's a couple of different translations going around on twitter so it could just be something that looks worse in translation but still clearly you know there is that underlying thing going around that i think they're both kind of looking towards the end of this partnership now and quite kind of keen to just kind of see the back of each other which when you consider how excited vettel was to join ferrari and how much he talked about winning a championship for Ferrari and how close he, it looked like he might be to winning a title in 2017 and 18. It's a real shame it's ending like that. And, you know, the, the great Ferrari mystery continues into another decade where they have great drivers and for some reason they just can't win the championship. They can't give them a car to even get close to the championship. So, you know, yeah, really sad to see how it's, how it's unfolding. Lawrence, thoughts on Seb's big day, but not really so big behind the scenes? <laughs> yeah, I, I really felt for him because... He had come on the radio and said, look, I think, I think we can make this one-stop work. And then they just kind of ignored him. And then it's like when you kind of say something before a meeting and then you'll go in and then somebody else says your point. And you're like, well, hang on a minute. That, that was my idea. And, I, and the fact that they're in between told him to push, told him to take some life out of those tires. And he made, he basically did over half the race on a set of softs, which, you know, if you told Pirelli that, they would have had a heart attack at the start of um at the start of the race so yeah it, it, it was an impressive drive from from Vettel uh we didn't really get the clear comparison with Charles Leclerc because he had an engine problem that saw him spin uh at the final chicane and so it was an, really a pretty messy messy race for Ferrari all round um I don't know what to make of that relationship thing um I didn't see the quote to Sky Italian also I don't speak Italian so I wouldn't have known what he said anyway what? but Nate should yeah. teach you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I can barely teach but, myself, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, but by the time they'd got to their press briefing with the written media, clearly they kind of sorted it out because um, there was less blaming of each other. Um, but I think after the race, you know, there was genuinely some, some confusion over what had happened. Um, and they claim that, you know, there's, there's, it was a really cracky line. It's every week there's this is like, awful connection with the Ferrari press conference and it allows them just to slightly ignore the questions so I think they, they're fully aware of it because when a journalist asks a question they all kind of like look and I like go oh god that oh, sounds awful like what's with this audio and all this kind of stuff and then they just answer a completely different question and it's like well come on um so yeah I don't know maybe they need to start their video software all I'll say is they're not using the one that everybody else is using so yeah maybe there's a little a little tip for Ferrari going forward the, the car might be tough to sort out but the um the kind of video software stuff they do for their press conferences is probably quite a simple fix um but anyway we, we'll wait and see on that one uh but yeah it's it, it is funny that relationship is clearly not right it's understandable that it's not right we all know the story of what's happened between Seb and ferrari uh this year and um we also see that the car isn't isn't working well and no matter how long your contract is any team if the car isn't up to expectations or the driver isn't up to expectations then there's problems as well so they've got all of that mixed into one and i don't really see it getting any better anytime soon well with that said i probably feel like i'm reaching here but in terms of seb because he still is somebody that has gotten success at this highest level he knows what it takes to win a world championship and i know a big portion of it is having the right car which he obviously doesn't have right now but in terms of confidence and the fact that at least this was a, a better day than what we've seen because they've been absolute horror stories so it's not that hard to have a better day than the last couple of weekends we've seen in him is it could this possibly work in his favor to to help him 
going forward and probably have him not have these horror stories so much, probably be right up there with Charles that we know he was definitely up there until the car gave out on him. Well, the, the other thing we should note is that they did change his chassis going into this weekend. Um, they found a crack in the chassis. Uh, that's often uh, something that leads to bizarre handling traits or, you know, you lose performance at the very least. So um, so perhaps it was that. Perhaps uh, he was a little bit closer because of that. But even in qualifying, he still wasn't. Still, there's still a pretty big gap. So um, I think, uh, yeah, there's, there's a number of contributing factors but I think the main one is that Leclerc um, is just capable of getting more out of the car than Seb. And to be honest, we saw that towards the end of last year and the trend has just continued. Remember, Leclerc's in his third year, so he must have learned a huge amount last year at Ferrari in that first season with them. And uh, by the end of that season, he was outperforming Seb and then that trend has just continued. And I think actually what we're seeing is Leclerc perform on a very high level in what's not a very good car. And Seb um, may even be continuing on the same level he's been for the last kind of two or three seasons, which some people would argue isn't isn't that special anyway. But um, but he may be continuing on that, and it's just that Leclerc is 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 kind of improving. And uh, we all know that Leclerc is one of the top drivers in Formula One, uh, but because he's so early in his career as well, still um, I think we'll still see some big gains from him uh, through this year, and then hopefully. By the time he gets a championship winning car, he'll be able to fight it with Max and Lewis. I mean, wouldn't that be, it seems so far away at the moment, but wouldn't it be wonderful <laughs> to have a three-way title battle between three drivers and three teams? Maybe one oh. day. Oh, you've given us on, you've given up on Valtteri completely now. <laughs> well, it, it, I mean, if it was Valtteri v Lewis, it would still be two drivers and one team. Now, I mean, I, I, I look back to like the, uh, the 2010 season, you know, when we went to the final race of the year. We have four drivers uh, mathematically in the title chase from three different teams. Uh, that's you know, that's exciting, isn't it? It doesn't you know, it doesn't matter. Even if the racing itself on the track is a little bit dull, that tension and knowing that it's going down to the wire is an important thing, and uh, that's what we don't have at the moment. And I think uh, the sport is really suffering for it. Of course, it's no one's fault, but really the rivals of Mercedes, um, because you can't blame Mercedes for building um, an incredibly fast car. And doing their job properly and um, you got to look at the other guys for whatever reason and there are many reasons most of them have been pretty well documented now uh, that ferrari have dropped off the pace this year and still sticking with ferrari i mean charles leclerc will just spare a thought for him of course no fault of his own did you guys get any more details as to what exactly happened because it just sounded like the engine gave out on him and then of course they kind of um brought him back in yeah ferrari said it was an electrical issue in leclerc's car which led to the shutdown of the power unit and they were investigating whether it was uh, the car going over curbs uh, as the reason why. So that's why he spun it. It initially looked like he'd done kind of what Daniel Ricciardo called a Seb spin last week, you know, where you just kind of lose the car on your own. But the, if you actually watch and listen to the onboard, his car just kind of, you know, the, the, the power unit just switched off and he, he then spun around. So um, quite an odd one. But again, it kind of, I think that's why it was nice that Vettel got in the points because it means that Ferrari, all of their points from this weekend came from him which again, just kind of, just from a pure motivation and morale standpoint for him must be pretty good. And finally, I suppose, let's talk about some Sunday signs because we've not bigged up Sunday signs in a bit, Nate, but today he put on a decent Sunday signs performance. I think um, Lando Norris as well, our boy, our friend, we always love to see him get amongst the points. He did only just this time, but usually it's him we're talking about and not Carlos Sainz, but today Carlos Sainz, you know, on his home circuit or his home Grand Prix rather than he got pretty pretty decent performance out there. Yeah, it was really good. And and I think 
he did the best kind of move of the race where he was defending from Albon. Mm. Um, I think, to, you know, in the second second half of the race, Albon, as, as Lawrence mentioned, was in that kind of tricky situation of trying to get back to the field at a very difficult circuit to overtake, was trying to do that around turns three and four. And science just, you know, slammed the door in his face and said, you know, you're not coming past here. And um, I like I like seeing that from drivers, especially drivers when they're up against it a bit. Science hasn't had the best start. He's not had the best luck this season. And, you know, I think a lot of people have already started to second guess his move to Ferrari and Ferrari's logic in signing him, which does seem premature because, you know, it, it, we're, what, six races into this season. So, um, yeah, great to see him back. And, 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 yeah, it's been a while since we've actually been able to say Sunday signs. So, you know, thank you, Carlos. Sunday signs, Yeah, and also full credit to the McLaren pit wall because on a race week, or sorry, on a race day when um, a number of teams looked pretty indecisive with how they were going about it, uh, McLaren went soft tyre, soft tyre, which means they're committed immediately to a two-stop. And a lot of teams wanted to seem to leave their options open a little bit, but they basically told Sainz to go for it on those soft tyres. He looked very racy when he was on them and um, that worked really well. So I think that was an example of a team really getting the strategy right, being decisive, going for it, and uh, a number of the teams around them kind of trying to kind of understand it as they go along whereas it seemed like McLaren had a plan of action from the start which was the correct one um of course you need a driver to uh to pull that off so um well done to Carlos as well but I think the McLaren pit will do very well with, with that one well props to them indeed because like Nate said it's been a while since we've got to say Sunday signs and I was missing it so at least we have been able to squeeze it in a couple of times today well We've got a little break now coming up, I suppose, gents. So final thoughts, what we're looking out for in the in the coming week before we wrap this one up? Well, it's the Indy 500 next week. So from a racing point of view, I'm excited about that. Um, Nate loves this, loves this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a long running joke, but I went to the Indy 500 once and I never, I never stopped talking about it. But um, <laughs> that should be good fun. Obviously, everyone knows Fernando Alonso is going there to try and win it. But mm-hmm. um, it's always a pretty entertaining. It's always, it's, it's a great race to watch because it's a bit like all of the oval races where nothing a lot of the time nothing can happen for a long time but it's all just kind of building up to the finale and you know something's going to happen at the end so that should be good fun but uh yeah nice it did feel i I think the energy of everyone this weekend was a bit lower you know third race in three weeks um Mm. so nice to have a week off and then we'll come back for two of the best circuits on the calendar and then a new circuit Mm -hmm. coming up which looks awesome as well so that should be um yeah a nice way to continue the season and Lawrence, final thoughts, what are you working on? Um, what are we working on? Good question. Well, I did an interview with Valtteri Bottas um, back in the second race in Silverstone. So that's coming up. And it's basically all about how um, he's got one of the hardest jobs in Formula 1 going up against Lewis Hamilton. So uh, some interesting little insights there. So that, that will be going up. And then, yeah, actually looking forward to a weekend off, as Nate said. Um, and then, uh, yeah, three really good circuits. Going to Spa is always quite special. And um, at Spa, they're going for slightly softer compounds. So could this create a Mercedes issue again? Probably not. But it does create a bit, a bit of intrigue <laughs> going into the weekend because, um, yeah, we've got, for those that remember the second race at Silverstone, C2, C3, C4. Those were the tyres that uh, Mercedes struggled with on a high-energy circuit. We're going to another high energy circuit that is Spa. It's usually quite a bit cooler, but if this European heat wave continues and we have the mixture of um, the softer compounds, hotter weather, and perhaps Pirelli needing to up the tire pressure because uh, they're a bit worried about the integrity of the tire, then maybe we'll get an exciting race out of that one where, where Red Bull can take the challenge a bit. But otherwise that track does look like a Mercedes circuit. Mercedes 
really nailed their uh, power unit this year, nailed their straight line speed. And that's going to be um, a big thing at both Spa and Monza. But yeah, um, I- I'm sure by the time we get around there, we'll, we'll be re-energised and-, and ready to go again. <laughs> Hanging on by a thread. We're such hard little workers. But of course, weekend's off in Formula One, but we will still definitely be working. We'll definitely have a preview pod to look ahead to Spa when the time comes as well. Plus, we're working on some other little fun stuff for you guys. But for now, it's going to be a wrap because Lawrence and Nate have been tirelessly working away. They want to go home and enjoy their grown-up beers. So they're going to do that, and we're going to let you guys go. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, for everything Formula One, keep it to ESPN's Formula One page as well as this podcast, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.